says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. It's midweek, that means the News and Arrow Podcast, which means... News Team, assemble! So, at half back on the News Team... Uh, team, there you go, the news team team. We've got 60s. How you doing, mate? Mate, I'm, I'm real well. I'm happier because we're talking about a, a, a win last week. I know we've already done the instant reaction, but we, we talk a little bit about, you know, any of the fallout that's come out of the weekend this week. So, I'm yeah, I'm in a better place than I was last week. <laughs> and coming in hot at 5'8", it's Spiro. How you doing, mate? You've had a busy, busy week. Going well, guys. Great to be back with you. I missed our chat. Last week, off the back of a dismal Rabbitohs performance, but really good to be back chatting with you this week. And what a what a game to dissect! Para Tigers at Leichhardt Oval doesn't get much better than that. And mate, you were right there in the thick of the action. You were the sideline eye for Two GB this week. You probably couldn't have got a, a a much better viewing than anyone else, and especially being able to pick up any of the. The, the talk and the banter and uh, the the collisions that were happening out there on the field. So let's look at your takes from that game, first of all. Um, what what was your overall take, mate? Yeah, so great opportunity to be sidelined. Actually, it was my debut because the week before, we were forced back into the studio when I was went, meant to make my debut. So it was a great opportunity, great experience, really enjoyed it. And... On the whole, I think it was a scrappy win. And as you guys said in the Instant Reaction podcast, a win's a win and we'll take it because you do have games like that throughout the season where you're not necessarily going to dominate for the full 80 minutes. You'll play well in patches and you'll just get the win. And I think that's that sums it up perfectly for our game on the weekend because in that opening 20 minutes, and we'll get to this in more specific uh, elements as we uh, go through the pod, but... There were opportunities there which we didn't really take in the opening bit of that first half, but we came good towards the back end. Once Matamua was simbined, the Tigers were a man down, we did step up and capitalise on that opportunity. And then there were patches in that second half towards the end of the match where we let the Tigers back into the game. So it was a mixed performance. I think we can't get too excited by it. A win's a win. We'll take the two points. But we do really need to improve in areas. And if we want to be a top four contender... We've got to step up our game big time. What was the um, the take down there on the field, and and also uh, amongst the two GB callers on the first two disallowed tries? Yeah, it was disappointing, and it was down my end of the field because I was down that right hand side, and I think we were rushing our opportunities a little bit too much, maybe, and errors cost us. We saw a couple of. Errors uh, actually mean that tries were disallowed and, and opportunities were halted. And it was frustrating because they looked good. They, their structures and their patterns looked really slick and solid. And we were getting penalties. Field possession was pretty good. We were making meters easily. But we weren't able to convert when we got close to the line. So it was frustrating from a fan's point of view. But also from a commentary point of view, 
The boys, Matt Thompson and Jamie Soward, sort of agreed that it looked like Parramatta were rushing rushing our players a little bit too much. And yes, there were opportunities, but we weren't able to really capitalise on it. And there were three times in the opening 20 minutes that we could have scored tries. Now, the Sean Lane try should have been a try. I agreed. That was my view. That was the view of the guys in the commentary box as well. But there were also two other opportunities where knock-ons and errors cost us. We came really, really close to scoring, but we couldn't get over the line. So that was sort of my takes um, from the sideline, from the commentary box, what my view was of those disallowed ones. And how do we score that opening try through Sean Lane? Uh, you know, things might have been very different. The momentum would have been different. And the result of that game and, and in terms of who would have scored first and, and where the game would have gone could have been very, very different. How did you see the forward pass call on Penasini's disallowed try? Uh, from my point of view, it looked pretty good, but um, I'm a one-eyed eel, so well, it can be a little oh, bit... <laughs> to, to provide quite a clarifying statement on that, it's always a bit of a grab bag, a bit of a lottery ticker when it comes to the NRL, uh, what's it called, the weekend presser or presser debrief that Graham Mannersley does, but he did say that it should have been a try for Penasini. Mm, so, mm, and that was my, my view as well. I thought that should have been a try, and I thought Will was actually quite good on Saturday night. A few things he did there were, were quite skillful. So for me, that was a try as well. So these are the these are the things which you can't control, the things that are in the referee's hand which actually affect the way we play. Because when you have two disallowed tries and, and, and other scoring opportunities that don't convert, it puts our confidence levels right down to zero and you sort of have to start again in a sense. So it's, uh, it's frustrating uh, and those two tries should have been tries for me and that could have changed the whole way that the game was played out. I would just uh, like to see a game, and Sixties has been beating the drum on this, where we get the first try and see what that does to maybe just like unharnessing the team a little bit and, and giving them a little bit of freedom to uh, play some good football. I just feel like they're always behind the eight ball, always chasing points. Well, do you want an interesting start, guys? Um, I, I've done pl- I did plenty of research heading into the game on Saturday night, and that is now nine straight games that Parramatta have conceded the opening try of a match. Now, we haven't done that since 2008, 2009. So it's been a very long time since we've done it. So it's a clear problem in our game. We're not starting well enough and we're conceding tries early. And that's not good enough. You need to be on the front foot. If you're a top four team, you need to come out firing and stamp your authority, stamp your dominance to the opposition. And we're not doing that. Because for nine straight games, we have conceded the first try. Can you believe it? Is it? Yeah, well, I can because the, the the even starker stat that I've been banging on about is that we've been the first point scorer three times this year. Three so that, times. That now, now too, I've made it? that worse because I've allowed the Newcastle penalty goal to be included in the first uh, points. But, but it, if I, at best, I can say that we've scored the first try four times only this year. So not only is it that nine straight that we that the opposition has scored first, our grand total for the year is four times that we've been the first try scorer. So uh, it, it, is, uh, it is the poor starts. They seem to fly in the face of what we were accomplishing in the early rounds in uh, basically since probably since 2019, where we probably, if anything, we'd been accused of, of, of starting too well in matches and, 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 and holding on in games. But 
now, geez, we're, we've had to fight back. And as, uh, as Fordy just said then, wouldn't it be nice for us to get an early jump in a game and see where that takes us? Um, now, just the next thing I wanted to ask you about, uh, Spiro, was uh, last after the South game, uh, Fordy was really strong on this. He, he when it, when it came to Team List Tuesday last week, he said he pointed the finger directly at the spine and said that they were the the part of the team that the focus needed to be on. They were the they were the players within the team that really needed to step up. You were close to the action. Uh, we've already had our say in our instant reaction podcast. But what what were your specific observations about our spine out there on uh, Saturday night? In my view, guys, and from what I picked up, there seems to be a bit of a lack of communication at times between our 5'8 and halfback, Dylan Brown, Mitchell Moses. Lack of talk. And that's a big problem because your 6 and 7 need to basically live, in, live inside each other's shoes and live and breathe each other. You know, be close, be talking and constantly communicating. I felt there was a lack of cohesion, a lack of communication. I think Mitch was probably man of the match. He played well. He stepped up at times throughout that game. Whereas Dylan, I just feel he's going back into his shell where he was playing and how he was playing last year. And, you know, he's he's probably playing on low confidence, struggling to really take on the line and make an impact, which is disappointing because – I felt that he was one of our best so far this year um, up until probably a couple of weeks ago. And he can get back in a good form if he if he really focuses on just gaining a bit more confidence and taking on the line, then that changes things. Now, the other part of our spine, which I think needs a bit of a bit of exposing, is our hooker. Because unfortunately, Reid Marnie, out of dummy half, he's not running the ball either. And that's costing us. His average run meters, his average run meters across the season so far is 32, right? His total running meters for the season, 524. That's not good enough for a, for a hooker because you look at your Damian Cooks, you look at your Apisai Coruscant, you look at your Harry Grants. These guys are running the ball out of dummy half. They're taking on the line. And that's an asset to so many teams. So many scoring opportunities come because of that. And it appears that Reid isn't doing that at the moment. And it's disappointing because... I don't, in my view, I don't think Reid has a foot out the door. I think he's very focused on Parramatta and winning a title this year. But it's either he's changed his game or someone's clipped his wings and it's it's not a good move because we're hampering his style and we're actually changing the way that he's playing. And it's, it's really frustrating to watch as a fan because you want your hooker to be taking on the line. You want your hooker to be running the ball and making metres and he's not doing that at all at the moment. Well, there's... When you put it that way, you're talking about the questions that are being asked out of dummy half aren't there, and it and it and it makes things a lot more predictable there, doesn't it? Because the defence doesn't have to worry about whether there's going to be a dart from dummy half. You just know that the ball's going to be served up to a runner, and that's and that's pretty much what we saw on uh, Saturday night. Because I think the total run meters on Saturday night was two for Reed. Two running meters, mm. um, which was pointed out in 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 Colmax uh, stats that matter, and um, and and look, we we don't know whether that's whether that's an instruction. We don't know whether you know that's part of the game plan. It, uh, you can't imagine that he, he would be told that he he's not to 
take a run from dummy half. One of the one of the things that the Eels worked on a lot last year um, was plays around the ruck. They worked on an awful lot of plays around the ruck at training. So, um, yeah, I mean, I'm only it'd be supposition for me to say uh, one way or another about what's what the uh, match plans are around um, dummy half attack, but it is. Yeah, you can't deny that it's that it's it takes away from the questions that we ask in attack if the dummy half isn't going to run. So um, it's too predictable, isn't it? Sixties, like it's it, just our, our style is way too predictable at the moment. And I suppose out, around around the ruck, mm. we need we need to make sure that if there's because there's always opportunities that are that are there. When I say always. When you've got, um, you know, defence, the players caught on the ground uh, out of at the play the ball. So there's always going to be an opportunity during any game where a defender is stuck on the ground and there's there's maybe at, at best one marker in position. And that's where you see uh, uh, dummy halves will take a run and look to get uh, a penalty or a six again through catching the, the markers not square or the markers on the ground or whatever the case may be, catching someone offside because of a problem created created there. Now, what we have to expect is that if our game plan is based on forward dominance that and the forwards are catching players that are, you know, well, catching the defence, not getting back because they're getting, they're running good meters. They're they're getting them on the back foot. The defence is constantly retreating. That you're going to get those opportunities for a quick dart out of there. Now, uh, we do see players like Clint Gutherson getting in and having a run from dummy half, or sometimes uh, one of the backs after a kick maybe getting in and having a quick run. I mean, most of the time it is a pass to a back running onto it, but occasionally the back will pick it up from dummy half and have a bit of a dart. So, yeah, it's it's it, it's it's confusing at the moment. I, I, I must say that as well. Um, now, we didn't see Tom Opachik take the field at all. Now, that's uh, – in one respect, it's not it's not surprising because it seems that uh, BA is often using that, uh, that fourth bench position as a cover in case we do lose a back. Um, and if there is no need to put the player on, that he's not doing it. But you said it looked like there was um, occasions when he did look like he was coming on. Yeah, so I'll get onto that in just one second. Just another observation while I think of it, guys. The talk between Wanga Blake and Mike Asiva is a lot more than you think. Those two work off each other really, really nicely. And that left edge is so lethal, that left side. And I think we need to be looking looking there a little bit more and we need to be using that left side a bit more as the season goes on and as we head into the finals because they love each other, they communicate with each other, they talk, they've got that connection with the Fijian national team as well. So that was one other thing I noticed which was really, really interesting, that the talk between those two is unlike any other two players on the field. In terms of Tom Opacek, he was walking up and down the sideline with about 10 minutes to go, he was getting ready. He had the card in his hand, ready to come on the field, ready to come on the field, ready to come on the field. And he didn't get on, right? And he walked past me a couple of times, looked like he was coming on, but didn't come on, um, which is a bit odd because it's something that you see at a ground level, but you don't see on the TV coverage. But it's just odd because 
you know, did BA want to put him on? Didn't he want to put him on? Was it because the game got tighter towards the back end that he thought, I can't afford to put Tom on the field now? I don't know, but it's it's confusing. And it's really frustrating, to be perfectly honest. The fact that BA keeps putting up a check and, and that fourth bench position as a as a as a cover, it's pretty ridiculous, guys. I'm sorry to say, but I've got to call him out, call the coach out on this one, because a lot of high quality teams in the top four, in the top eight, they have a solid four man bench, and they are using all players on that four man bench. Right? Have someone on there that's versatile. That if there's an injury in the back line, you can slot him into the back line as well. But don't waste a bench position with someone that you're not going to use or you're going to use in the last five or 10 minutes of the match because it's a waste. And when we get to the finals, when we get to the back end of this year, we're playing quality teams again like the Panthers and the Storm and even the Broncos and the Sharks. They have four-man benches, which they're using the full rotation. And we need to start doing that because it's a competitive advantage that other teams are using. We're not, and we're going to come unstuck at the end of the year because we're basically playing with 16 players and and it's it's just not going to work in our favor so ba has to make his mind up don't just give up a check game time because you feel sorry for him or because he's leaving at the end of the year and you want to give him a go if you're going to put him on the bench use him but if you're not going to use him don't put him on the bench so do you think where um that loss of will smith last year has has been a little bit more costly than what we might have thought because he quite often filled that utility role, didn't he? Where if um, if he was, he could come on and play a bit of dummy half. He could um, even play that versatile lock role, the lighter lock role. He was brought on for that, or he could play anywhere in the back line. And I'm just wondering, do mm-hmm. we have, do we actually have a player who fits that? mold at the moment I'm, I'm not sure that we do I think I think there is one player who could down the track and that being Brendan Hands mm. um, but looking at it I'm not sure that we have a player who could who could um, and, and some people might argue Bryce Cartwright there well, but the, I think the other player that we had that BA clearly trusted in a similar capacity but not the same was Ray Stone and yeah. obviously, Stoney, yeah. Stoney did his knee against Melbourne, and that, that's brought him out for the rest of the season. But yeah, I, I'll tell you what, I, I've taken a step back, and I, I've just come to accept, and I don't necessarily agree with it, but for me as a fan, it's become a lot less stressful to just accept that Brad Arthur has 16 players he likes to use in rotation. Well, not necessarily in rotation, obviously, because the backs don't get rotated usually, but that 17th per player is not, not surplus, but it's just like the safety net. And ever since I came to that conclusion, I'm far less stressed about the bench rotations, even if I don't always agree with them. And the fact that uh, that 17th player is, whether it's Bryce Cartwright or Tom Opacek right now, they're, they're just there in case. And uh, like you said, Spiro, but it's obviously you want to have four players you're rotating against the best teams, but at the moment we, we're not using it. And that way, the way it is now, I'm, I'm just far less stressed about it. And I just say, okay, we've got Tom Opacek as the emergency back replacement. Okay. because Well, I think I think Cartwright, there's a, there's a case to prosecute saying that Cartwright is actually a better 17th because he can slot into the forwards. He can arguably slot into 5'8 if you really need it. He can head into the centers on the wing. So he he is a much more versatile option. And I would be happier as a fan having um, Cartwright as a 17 rather than Opacek because where else can Opacek play? I've only ever seen him play on the wing or in the centers. And that, to me, is not a versatile utility bench player. Yeah, so... 
Um, I think the reason on Saturday was probably because it did get tight. That he uh, yeah. Well, we we we, we we brought ice off ten minutes early before that bit of a West Tigers comeback. So clearly, we we're looking to like you know rest certain core players and maybe get Opacic in, and then unfortunately the West Tigers got their foot in the door ever so slightly. Uh, the other bench, yeah. I suppose, on the flip side, we talk about Opacic not getting any minutes, but a bench player that is being entrusted with some pretty solid minutes across the last couple of games, including that loss against Rabbitohs, backing into the West Tigers game is Kai Rodwell. He's gone well into the 20-minute uh, sort of uh, usage rate across the last two games, which is encouraging to see. Mm, 100%. 100, and I thought of you guys because Magnum P.I. walked past me and he's a real specimen. You look at him, he's a big boy. And, and, um, and yeah, he's doing well. He's, he's making, making a good little impact off the bench there. So he's, a, he's becoming a nice little asset for us. I, I agree. And one of the interesting things about uh, Kai Rodwell is that when you look at his background – um, the last time that the age origin was played before this year, so I think it was 2019, we lost times. the last few years because of COVID, and it was um, and it was an under under 19s origin, not an under 20s origin from memory. But he was part of the New South Wales team that year, the mm. under 19s origin. So he he actually has um, an elite. Uh, pathways background so that he was he was earmarked to be really a first grade player of the future and it wasn't happening for him where he was at and he's we, I'd like to think now he's he's back on track at the eels and and I really believe that he's a, a, a player of the future for us I've watched quite a lot of him in uh, in the New South Wales Cup and I just I like the way that he carries the ball because He's not straight up and down in his carries. He's not a. He's not just north south. Now he's not a sideways. What I mean by that is, he will. He he runs at space mm. when he's when he's. I mean, he's still primarily north south, but he'll be north south and he'll be looking at a space rather than necessarily looking to run straight over the top of a of an opposition player. He's clever with his runs. Is, is basically what I'm saying here, and he, he's also got a bit a bit of a hit and spin in his uh, repertoire as well, which I always like to see. Now, you were at the eighth wonder of the world mm. uh, on Saturday night, um, and uh, it was it was one. I mean, I know how I feel about it being in the eighth <laughs> wonder of the world, but uh. the topic that's come up has been ticket prices there. Yeah, well, cost of living's going up and up, and you know what? Maybe the West Tigers got something to do with it too. I agree, guys, and I've got a bit to say on this. I know it's non-footy, but it is footy-related, so um, on the just firstly on the eighth wonder, right, I was in the commentary box with Jamie Soward and Matt Thompson pre-game, and we're having a chat, and um, Matt was saying that the you know to get parking was just ridiculous, right? To get in and around that area, and he was running a bit late, unfortunately. He, he made it in time for when we were on air, but he was later than he originally expected to be there. And Jamie Soward said, why do they call this place the Eighth Wonder? The facilities are terrible. The commentary boxes, guys, I've never actually been there with the media, so it's my first time. And the commentary boxes are like a shoebox. They are the worst commentary boxes in Sydney, at least. I can't really call for Australia because I haven't been to any – boxes outside of Sydney, but it's the worst in the whole of Sydney. It's tiny, limited space. Even, you know, there's limited space behind the box. There's a little thoroughfare and it's like sardines in a can. It's ridiculous. So in terms of the facilities, they're terrible. But 
ticket prices wise, my father uh, bought tickets for a group of my, you know, friends from school and their fathers and the group that we usually go to Combank with as season ticket holders. And I think he paid around $370 for seven tickets or something like that, which is a farce because when you think about it, a season ticket holder, GA at Combank, is around that 700 mark for the year or so, right, for, for two family passes or that's what it usually costs us. So, that you know, $65 for a ticket, an adult to go on the hill is just ridiculous. And I know they got a good good crowd in there, 13,000, bit over 13,000. But surely they've got to do something about the prices. Surely the NRL have to step in and regulate it because 65 bucks to stand on the hill on a wet, you know, cold Saturday night where the viewing is just terrible, you know. Like my, my dad and, and the group that he was with, they said that the view was just horrible. You, you can't see anything. It's the angle's awful. It's it's very average. It's a very mediocre state ground. And I know it's sentimental and traditional and it's a good place to go and just to, you know, get that old sort of old school footy vibe. But they've got to do something about the prices and about the experience for fans because right now it's it doesn't fit the bill. Well, we spent a lot of time at Leichhardt Oval in recent years because finals matches in the junior representative season are played there. But even with crowds of say 1500 around about that sort of number it's it's still hard to get parking there like you you drive around around the streets there you if you're lucky you might get parking in the um the car park that's there for the swimming center um other than that you might end up parking right down at the reception uh, hall that's there uh, down on the water or you might have to go and find uh parking in a a back street which is quite a walk from the ground and then on top of that, even with those small crowds, I've had times where it's taken me over an hour to get out of Leichhardt itself, just that immediate vicinity, and get onto the main road. Like just to get through a couple of intersections has taken over an hour with a crowd of fifteen hundred there. Now they've they've spoke you spoke at length about the facilities. I'm not going to argue about those facilities mm. there because I think it's ridiculous that at this day and age that that would be considered a ground that is suitable for the NRL. It wasn't a ground that was suitable when the when they were first looking at um, teams having to justify their existence to be invited into the Premiership back in the nineties, and that and we had all the, the all the Super League issues and the and then the formation of the NRL. But it, it was ground facilities were one of the criteria that they, it would fail. It would still fail that as ground facilities. Because it's it's primarily a hill there. I mean, the the seating there is is wouldn't even be fifty percent of the ground capacity. But they're talking about spending money and turning that into a into a uh, one of these boutique stadiums that the government invests money in. And and I really would take exception to that because first of all, it doesn't take away the parking issue. Can you imagine if they built a ground there to ho- that would hold twenty thousand comfortably? Where are the people going to park their cars? Mm. It, it, it's not like the public transport's uh, brilliant down there. But where are people going to park their cars if they if they want to drive down there? They can't get within Cooey of it. Secondly, exactly right. Secondly, the Tigers play four games there. Yeah, that, a this year. is the big one. Is that 
all the other big stadium infrastructure that's being you know reinvested into for knockdown rebuilds or you know propping up as a, a new new build is that they're multi-purpose they ho- they host multiple NRL teams or multiple codes. Leichhardt, like you said, sixties has literally single on a single hand the amount of games West Tigers play out of it, and doesn't support anything other than a bit of the lower grade rugby league as well. Yeah, yeah, a bit of that and a bit of a bit of lower level soccer, and that's and and I think that's about it. I mean, there's the only times that there are, are crowds there are say the four times a year that the West Tigers play there, and the West Tigers aren't going to move all their home games there if they got a stadium built there because. They have to service the Campbelltown area for a start. Mm. Yes, yes, they could take some games away from Combank Stadium, but they're still looking at having to play half of their matches down in down at Campbelltown because do you know what? That's where they that's where the majority of their catchment now is. That's and where the facilities. And when you look at the facilities and the experience at Campbelltown, it's much better, guys. Like, yeah. it's a really, it's actually a really good stadium. I went there for the first time about a month ago, and you look at the parking, heaps of parking. You know what I mean? Uh, just the, there's a train line right next to the stadium. It's uh, it's got a, you know great seating. The view's good. The facilities for media are good as well. It's also in a so, quadrant of Sydney you know, that isn't being contested by about six teams. I mean the the inner west. I know technically it's it's the west. Uh, sorry, the Tigers part of the, the Ventures territory, but it infringes on a whole stack of uh, teams. Now you've got Canterbury, even Parramatta's touch reaches out to the inner west. Honestly, the way things are mm-hmm. these days. But yeah, you got um, you know Canterbury. You got uh, all the all the other teams that converge on it. It's just yeah. I, I would like to see them move more permanently out the Campbelltown, just from a, a perspective of helping uh, grow the the Sydney foot ma- footprint a bit better. Uh, but mm. yeah, and then just but coming back to Leichhardt, it's just yeah, the eighth wonderful yeah. world is. Uh, I, I I like to think people use it more as a tongue in cheek thing these days, but I'm mm. sure there are people that do think that it is actually, uh, you know, heritage for the game. Look, I think it's I think it's the sort of venue that if it that if it stays as a venue, as in it doesn't get knocked down and used for housing, that. Uh, they they could stage one game there a year, maybe stage lower grade games there, um, their junior reps, that sort of thing. But if they're going to invest money in a stadium, as you said, invest in uh, Campbelltown, take their matches to where the the greater population of of uh, of Western Sydney is located, where their future should be located, because their best juniors are coming out of the out of that part of their catchment uh invest in that and uh and and on top of that you've got a a, a one of the uh, main soccer um clubs that um what is it the macarthur team that is based out of campbelltown as well so straight away just like Parramatta has um the uh western sydney wanderers playing out of there they'd have another tenant that would share the the um the facility in in the summer months, well, no, they're not summer anymore. They're partially summer. They're still they're they're sort of a switch their seasons around. But you get the the drift. There's they have another tenant that would use it, and they would probably have rugby union that would play out of there as well. So I think mm. that's a better investment. Um, now, Sparrow, you've you've been really um, getting a bit of airtime on two GB recently. <laughs> not only the sideline eye, you've you're, you're part of uh, continuous call. Uh, you have uh, recently been reading uh, the sports news in the breakfast program. 
um, with Ben Fordham. And there has been a bit of scuttlebutt around, however, that when it comes to helping the fellas out and making a coffee or two, that your skills are somewhat questionable. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> That's right. You've stitched me up here, 60s. But, um, look, let me tell you the story, and, and I'll be open and truthful. Um, I'll take you back to Friday night. It was Rabbitohs, or New, yeah, Newcastle v. Rabbitohs. Right. And usually at halftime on a Friday night when we're in the studio doing the games from the Macca's Interactive Studio, the boys say, you know, I offer, I say, do you guys want a coffee, any water, anything, you know, just to keep them happy? Mm-hmm. And um, and the boys usually say, yes. So Piggy, Mark Piggy Riddell gets us, he's got a special coffee, which is a bit of coffee and a bit of Milo with some hot water and some milk. And the big man, sometimes he gets just, uh, he, he asked me to fill uh, about half of the mug with Milo with um, milk in the microwave for about 90 seconds. So they've each got their special order. But on Friday night, the big mom wanted a coffee, right? And Piggy wanted his special coffee. Now, I went into the kitchen, start making the coffee. I put two scoops of Makona, right? Two, Just two little teaspoons uh, or two tablespoons. Oh, yeah, teaspoons, teaspoons, not tablespoons. Two teaspoons of Makona for big man. And then I put, you know, um, two teaspoons of Makona and a teaspoon of Milo for Piggy. I think I put one and one. Anyway, Piggy walks in and says, what are you doing? He sees me making big man's coffee. Two tea, two teaspoons, and I said, "Yeah, tea, tea, two teaspoons of Makona is good enough with some some hot water and some milk and with a with a sugar that'll be sweet." And he said, "No, no, 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 one teaspoon, not two. One teaspoon of coffee only, right?" So he pulled me up on it, but I'd already made the big man, so he got an extra strong coffee. And no wonder at the end of the night uh, that he didn't really finish much of it. So. I've got a bit of a problem there, guys. I'm not a big coffee man. Now, I know what a white coffee with one is. At the beginning of the season, I didn't know. Now, I know what it is, but I'm putting too much coffee in. So, I don't know what I'm going to do here. I've got to sharpen up the tools because uh, I'm going to keep getting hammered on air. If you really want to percolate I, the boys, get them off the instant and then switch them over to the old Italian cafeteria type and then that, that short black will really get them uh, bouncing off the walls for the, the commentary. That's, you know, good advice, good advice. That's it. I think that's the easiest way to do it. But, yeah, I'm putting two scoops and uh, anyway, I've got to sharpen up the skills. One scoop is the, the general consensus, correct? Guys, I don't drink coffee. You guys tell me. Is one one teaspoon enough? I, I grew up uh, in a family that never used instant because my old man's Sicilian and, he you know, they're very strict on using like proper coffee grind in the cafeteria. So I'm, I'm used to you got to fill the water up. Then pack in the uh, the grinder, well not grinder, but the the catcher, and then you boil it through, and then pour it off the off the stovetop. So, yeah, I, I can't commentate on uh, instant coffee, unfortunately. Well, mate, look, for, as far as I'm concerned, I'm not a huge coffee drinker either. I just go on either the flat or the heap spoon, depending on the size of the mug that it's going in. If you've got right. a huge mug, then a scooped, uh, then a you know slightly um, heaped spoon. Um, a small teacup size, then a, a little flat spoon. But do you know what I say there, uh, Spiro? I'd say if they wanted a barista, they should have asked for one. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, man! Look, you know what? I'm happy to I'm happy to do that because at the end of the day, the, the main job when you're a producer behind the scenes is to keep the boys happy and to make sure that they're you know they're comfortable and they're well fed, they're well uh, they've got enough to drink. 
and they're happy. So I'm happy to keep on doing it and the acting barista, but I've got to just really learn the best way to do it to try and keep them, uh, keep them on side. Basically, they're telling you if 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 you were a player, they'd be saying to you, "Lift your game, mate." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's it. So, so um, we'll keep we'll keep working at it. We'll keep working at it. <laughs> they're just, I'm waiting for you to tell me that they, they're getting you to do extras now. <laughs> what's yeah, the, I've got to do a bit of training yeah, throughout the yeah, week. What's the radio yeah. equivalent of a Malcolm? Just, you know, do the up-downs until you, you're passed out. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so um, so I've copped a little bit of slack over that. I, I don't know how it got to you 60s. Um, maybe a little birdie came and told you. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it could have been. It could have been, mate. <laughs> well, mate, look, it's, it's been great that we are back on normal transmission this week we had our all three of us had our conflicting schedules last mm-hmm. week which made recording a bit of a challenge but uh we're back to normal transmission this week uh although we are when i say normal transmission we're recording on a slightly different day we're recording on a tuesday because of the shortened week uh that we've got so we've got we have got a jam-packed schedule on the cumberland throw this week but um it's good to have you back as far as normal transmission of our content is concerned and uh we look forward to the game mate and look forward to speaking with you again next week sounds good guys go para we got the warriors this friday night it should be a cracker out at combank yep, let's hope we can the... get the two points and move through first of quick, all, uh, quick, quick take from you mate because uh we'll give us uh your score and yep. your man of the match, first try scorer. 32-12, to 12, Parramatta to win. Man of the match, I'm going to say Dylan Brown. He's due for a, a good performance, guys. It's been a while, and I think he'll have a rocket up him at training this week, and he'll, he'll turn out and uh, play a man of the match performance. First try scorer, I'm going to go with Mike Acevo. He is looking dangerous. I know it's only he's only played three matches so far this year, but... He scored two tries in three matches. He's looking good. So I'm going to go Micah first try. Man of the match, Dylan Brown. Parramatta to win 32 to 12. 60s and I were talking about Micah just before we started recording and noting just how like in shape he is considering the knee injury. And, you know, it's, it's kind of – I mean, the commentary did talk about it, but it's kind of lost because it's not in the stat sheet. But he nearly scored an outstanding try against the he West did. Tigers. It was literally half a centimetre of that boot just catching the line. And they got, they got to put down that, you know – even this era of where wingers are putting the ball down in most ridiculous circumstances, I still think it would have been a top-tier finish. I agree. And he's guys, I, I was sitting right in front of him, and he is massive. He is so big. And he did actually receive a bit of treatment on the right knee in that second half. So it, it, it does look like it's still a little bit of an issue for him. But for me, he's playing great at the moment, and, and he's in some really good form. And we'll need that going into the back end of the year. Yes, sir. All right, good luck. Uh, let's hope we get the win, boys. And um, loving your content. It's great to hear more and more each week. So looking forward to what's in store for the we rest of the week. We love having you on the show, mate. We'll catch you next week with hopefully the Eels going uh, on consecutive wins. We need it, boys. We need it. Have a good one. Talk next week. And as we are want to do, 60s uh, with Spiro gone, we're still going to have a little bit of a meander and a chat about some things related to the Parramatta Eels and the greater rugby league community beyond. Let's start with the one that's been dominating discussions for talk shows, for headlines. It is the, I suppose, the the smell, the stink. It's the one that's lingering around State of Origin and it's why Reagan Campbell-Gillard continues to be overlooked for not only Game 2 but also this Game 3 decider. I mean, it's been, it's gotten top line billing on 360. It's getting running in the uh, sports sections of the newspapers. 
Freddie Fittler can't proffer up a, a good reason as to why RCG, who has been one of the form props of the, not only 2022, but for the last three years, uh, was overlooked in last uh, game plus the game three decided up in Queensland. Mate, the way that it's going, you even wonder that if every prop in the game suddenly became unavailable, mm-hmm. that Freddie would opt for Luke Brooks to fill in at prop ahead of RCG. Such is the absurdity of how far down the pecking order he seems to have gone. Because I, I, I tweeted this earlier this week, that my take on what Freddie Fittler had to say, that basically what he's shown is that the week-to-week form in the NRL, is there is no attention that's paid to it in selecting the origin team because RCG has been one of the best props in the NRL for probably the last three seasons. So he's got form on the board. It was, it's, you know, it was unbelievable that he was even ignored. It feels like this is the, unfortunately the natural cycle for New South Wales. They end up falling into this bit of a boys club, players we like rather than the players that were the best in the in slot and Freddie built this successful team based on getting back to picking the most informed players the best players in positions across the park and then ever since we had that big surge of successes we've just been trending backwards 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 and we've now arrived at the point where yeah I get that he's a top prop in the game but I like this other guy more and we're, yes we're, absolutely and the thing is that those that are coming to defend Fittler's selection decisions, first of all, A, point to his success as an origin coach and his overall career for being someone that knows what they're doing. Now, I'm not going to criticise Fittler's career or or Fittler for winning series before. However, in... when you look at what is happening right now, first of all, he's gonna he's he's likely gonna be vindicated because Queensland were awful in game two. Just absolutely and their best awful. players out for game three. And now have their best players out. Yeah. And and as we said, and and, and look, as soon as uh, New South Wales won game two, I came straight out and said, Don't change the team. Like so it's not as if I'm I'm someone who's who's vindicating that Fittler changes a winning team in any way, shape, or form. I didn't want him to change the team from game we, one. We were pretty because stringent. I just thought that there were some players that that got um, that didn't execute as they should. I didn't think I, I thought the spine didn't play as they could have played. That was probably Cleary's worst game that I can remember yep. seeing in in a period of time, and and certainly the. Um, uh, Cook and Luai did not have strong games. I, I, I thought the Tedesco's still had a, a strong game in game one, but people were pointing to uh, that are, that are supporting fitless decisions were pointing at Reg and inventing things about his game in game one. There was nothing. There was nothing wrong with what Reg produced in his thirty six minutes that he was given in game one. Now, Fitler might be able to come and say, oh, you know, there was stuff off the ball he wasn't happy with or whatever the case may be. But there was it's it's not as if Reg had a horrible game in game one. I, I thought he was one for the time he was on the field, he was one of the better performers. I was quite stunned when he was one of the players that was dropped. Mm-hmm. But now 
now that we're getting into the absurdity where you have out of form Newcastle props being who, who, selected. Who admit that they're out of form. You know, yes. Jacob Saifetti came out and to his credit said, I know I've been playing great football and the other guys could have been picked ahead of me, but I am grateful for the opportunity, which is the right thing for him to say, obviously, because it's not his fault he got picked. But it's just crazy that he is so far, he being Reg, being so far down the pecking order for whatever perceived slight or invented reason there seems to be. And yeah, like, like we said post-game two, we were quite vocal about this, that the wrong process achieved the right result when it came to change, yep. changing the team. And like you just, you just you know, went back, circled back to there. We were all about having the, essentially the same team except for enforced changes because if it was a guy injured or suspended, obviously you can't do much about it. And in the case of Jack White and having a COVID infection, you had to make a change. But yeah, it just felt like uh, Reg and, and also to a fairly equal extent, Ryan Madison were made the scapegoats of game one. And they've almost been stamped never to play Origin again, it seems, given that they're not even in extended squads at this point. Well, it's obvious that Reg has been marked that way because, well, certainly while ever uh, Freddie Fittler is the coach of New South Wales because he's literally come out and said that he doesn't play the style of football that he's interested which is, in. Which is insane. Uh, that, that they play. They're, they're prop so. forwards. There is one style you play as a prop forward. Like I, yeah, I, know that, I know, I know. There's talk about first hit up props, second hit up props, and that was one of the things about Reg being one of the ber- uh, the best first hit up props in the game and whatnot. So there is obviously some nuance to the thing. But when you're a prop, your job is to run north south. Yep. You you, yep. you tackle and you offload, and then all the other auxiliary things to that. But your job is to lay the platform in the ruck, and Reg is one of the best at it, and has been for a number of years. So just just crazy. Uh, but evidently, evidently, there is something about that. The Fittler doesn't like. I mean, Reg could literally come out, and I think he's he's been uh, amongst the best, you know, four or five props in the game for the last three years. He could literally come out and be slaying the opposition every well, that, week. That, that's how he responded against the Roosters. He came out and had a huge game against Angus Crichton, who I know is an edge by trade, but plays a bit of middle for Origin, and absolutely outplayed him. Same with Madison. And they, they both overlooked for game two, so I don't know. Well, yeah, I if I was uh, if I was Reg, I wouldn't be counting on any future Origin selection while ever uh, Fittler is uh, the coach, and it doesn't matter how strongly he plays because it seems like his card has been marked, and his card has been marked for for something that uh, cannot be defined. Yes, and that's so. the bottom line. It cannot be defined. He can, Freddie can come out and and you know well, what? As long as he's the going words to that he that. used actually made no sense. Yeah. The, the the reasons that he gave, uh, because if he if he'd said if he'd come out and he said, um, you know, he 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 didn't he didn't um, he didn't measure up in defence that uh, it's not just about missed tackles that it was about his positioning in defence and it didn't suit. Okay, come out and say that if it was. If it was that he wasn't running enough decoy runs or enough support line runs, um, come out so that he can't say that he didn't run the ball enough because in that in that thirty six minutes he he got a, uh, close to hundred meters or around that hundred meter mark in Origin. Now let's just talk about that thirty six minutes in an Origin game and he's got up around that hundred meter mark. Well, can you ask much more of a prop in that sort of stint? I don't think so. Well, and I, I think suppose... he had the tackle breaks in there as well. So, you know, it's 
And then uh, what was interesting was NRL 360 just straight out comparing the stats between Saifidi yeah, and, it was and not, Reg. it was not pretty viewing for Freddie Fitler. No, no, no. And, and, and in, again, what I think this does is I, I think it, it diminishes the, um, what, what is happening in, uh, in selection, in the selection process. It, it, I hate to say it, but it, it almost diminishes the honour of rep footy because in the old days, you'd get a panel of selectors who'd, who'd select the team and then hand the team to the coach. And that was basically how it would work. Now, what you've got is um, coaches selecting teams which they'd like to assemble themselves as a team, you know, rather than, you know, necessarily the best players in the competition. So rep footy is not a reward for playing strongly uh, week to week in the competition. Yeah, and what what is meant to be the most meritocratic process in the NRL when it isn't, it it really takes the fun out of it for fans, at least for me. Yeah, it it does. I mean, like, there's... And it shouldn't be a case where, and this is where it's 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 bad for someone like Saifiti, right? Because you then have people like ourselves and and, and also uh, mainstream media like uh, yeah, NRL he, he's a, he is this like not scapegoat, selection. That's yeah, right. His, his selection goes under the microscope. He's getting there. dragged by proxy because he you know he was the you know the, the lesser informed player, and Freddie picked him, so his name gets dragged, and it's not his fault. No, no, and this is and, and look, the same thing comes when you know players are selected in an NRL team. I mean, this is to a lesser extent, right? Because uh, uh, you know an NRL coach has, for a long period of time, had the sole responsibility of selecting teams. You know, like like rep selections, there used to be selection panels when. Uh, first grade, second grade, third grade teams were selected and the, the coaches were handed the teams. And then, of course, when it became professional and coaching became a professional gig, then the coaches wanted the, the complete say in the in the team that they put on the field every week. So, um, and, and you tend to get a furor now if, if there's any suggestion that a coach doesn't have full say in his club team each week. But when it when it comes to uh, a player that's selected in in first grade and they're not performing well, they cop the hate from the fans. And you know, and, and again, it's it's the coach has selected them there. It's you know, if the if the player's out of form or 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 the player, you know, for people feel that they don't deserve selection, um, the hate shouldn't be directed to them. They're probably doing as best they can at the moment. It's it's you know. It's the decision to select them in the team that's the that's the thing. So uh, that's where I feel guilty about what Saifidi's going through at the moment, and even our comments that we're making now. As you say, he's he, he's he's copying the that criticism, and all he's done now is what should be the complete joy of earning Origin selection has all the question marks on it. I mean, down the track, he's going to have that on his resume, and he's probably going to have. Being part of a winning Origin team on his resume. Well, let's let's uh, let's not call that too early, given historically how New South Wales perform in Queensland in these uh, circumstances. And just further to that, I mean, it just feels like this saga. If the Blues do go on to lose the series decider at SunCorp, and you know, on top of that, let's say Jacob has a you know subpar game, you know, not for any fault of his own, but just because it's a tough game to make an impact for a prop. 
I feel like there's there's more to be stoked in terms of the embers on this saga. I feel like the the media are going to feast. So that's definitely something to watch. But thankfully, that's the only real negative thing we're going to be talking about in our segment here, 60s, because it's pretty much good vibes and good news from here on in. Uh, starting with a report coming out of the Telegraph last night that the Parramatta Eels and Mitchell Moses have started to formalise uh, the process to get Mitch to finish his career in the NRL or close to as a Parramatta Eel, currently contracted through 2023 directly, having an option in his favour for 2024, which the article suggests that he is going to take up, so he's still contracted for two years. On top of that, they're looking at a three-year extension. So a long, long time, end of 2027, I believe, where that, where that would put him at. So Mitch being oh, 28 yep. this year, so yep. play, playing through to 32, 33, which in the modern NRL really isn't that terrifying. Look at what Adam Reynolds is doing, given his injury history uh, for the Brisbane Broncos. You know, the value of a halfback cannot be understated even when at 32 years, 33 years of age. Isn't that also DCE's age? Isn't he about yeah, 33 he's, as well? he's in the same ballpark. Yep, exactly. So uh, these guys take care of their bodies religiously and they, their playing careers have been lengthened significantly because of it. And the way Mitchell plays his game, it feels like he'll age fairly gracefully too. He's, he's definitely transitioned into more of a field general sort of, you know, play, uh, what's it called? Uh, uh, shot call, game manager, shot, shot organizer. Game manager, yeah, exactly. That can have those explosive bursts when needed, um, which is you know that's great for hit the balance of his game, and it's going to age really well. So that's really good. Part of that article also mentioned that Dylan Brown uh, is also in the process of starting to formalize his negotiations with the club. Uh, so it'd be, I mean, we talked about it before. Sixties, you in particular have offered the idea of that Melbourne Storm model where you have those core players and then build around them. And certainly if you're going to do that, Moses and Brown are probably the two most core players to that idea. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I've i said before that I believe that Mitch Moses is someone who has blue and gold coursing through his veins. Yeah. I, I really I really believe that because he's – look, his, his family of uh, Eels supporters, um, he started off in the Eels junior ranks before – switching at SG ball level over to um, the Tigers. But uh, he's when he came back um, to Parramatta, he was he was the, the target was to get to Parramatta when he made his change from West Tigers. And everything about the way that he um, his attitude about playing for Parramatta has always been really, really good. And it doesn't surprise me that he'd look to be um, locking himself into a contract that would keep him an Eels player for the rest of his career. I think it's a, I think it's a good move. Uh, it's um, likewise with Dylan Brown. He's been with the club since he came over from New Zealand into Parramatta's junior rep ranks at the age of 16 when, uh, when uh, Fields, he got him locked in at the club. Um, he's he's been he's one of those players where there's been those rumours around that the Warriors would want him back, uh, and and no doubt they probably would want him back over in New Zealand. When I say want him back, I mean back in New Zealand. Not that he was part of the Warriors organisation at any stage, but you know, Parramatta's his home now. He's been here since he was a kid. It's he, he's got his mates within the club. I, oh, again, he'd be someone. It, it would stun me if he looked to leave. I think it would have to be 
circumstances that we wouldn't expect that would draw him away from the club. So I think that's I think it's a good move to to lock those players in. We're already losing Reed Marnie as part of the spine. Gutho's Gutho's getting that little bit older. Um, we're not sure how long his career will extend for, even though he's a fairly similar age to uh, Mitch Moses. He's had the serious injuries throughout his the wear, career. The wear and tear in the body, plus just the, the yardage that you get out of fullback. You're, yes. I mean, it's not like the halves have got a light load when it comes to running around, but at fullback, you're at full speed so often for long stretches and it takes a toll on the body. Yes, yeah. And and so for for anyone that's, that's thinking that... Um, you know, because there are lot, lots of question marks when um, uh, Jake Arthur was brought in and, and, and Dylan Brown was moved out to the centres, that there was something nefarious that was going on with BA in there. And I mean, this, when you, are, when, when you have the Eels halves being locked into long term contracts and the coach's son is a half as well, that, Surely that starts to send the message to the fans that the 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 recognition is there that um, they want to hold on to their current halves for an extended period of time, and that um, you know whilst uh, Jake is an exceptional player, and I would have no problems with him being called in even like now. Um, if if the players are down injured, uh, I think he's he's copped the sort of criticism that I is completely unwarranted. He is going to have a long NRL career ahead of him. Now, whether that ends up being as a half at another club or it ends up being in a different position at the Eels, I'm not sure. But the thing is, the Eels are looking to lock in our current halves period pairing for an extended period of time. Mm-hmm. So I think people need to lay off any of the unwarranted criticism of either Brad or Jake especially because it's it's just not on it really isn't on it's 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 creating it's creating uh, trying to create a situation that just doesn't exist and it's as simple as that mm-hmm. but yeah obviously hugely positive news on both fronts there uh, Mitch and Dylan are going to be the pillars of the Eels being competitive for a number of years down the road assuming we get both locked in and the good news continues. So the Australian Schoolboys Carnival was played out recently. Sixties had a whole stack of Parramatta Eels playing across both the fifteens and well, I suppose it's open age, but technically just the well, under eighteens um, for uh, the other grade. I think Parramatta had eleven representatives, like I said. Uh, but in the senior grade or the open age bracket, both Blaze Talangi and Sam Tuavaiti, who have been uh, two of our best prospects in the Harold Matthews, they've earned Australian Schoolboys qualification there got the you know one of the most merit you talk about meritocratic selections that's one of the highest honors you can get as a young player in the code so congratulations both those two players yeah and and now we're talking about another talented half in the eels pathways in uh blaze talangi who plays at five eight for the harold matts team will be playing uh, up in SG Ball next year because this was his second year playing in the Harold Matts mm-hmm. grade. Um, and, yes, he's, he had an exceptional carnival. He's earned Australian selection. And the interesting thing that we talked about too, Forty, was the uh, comment about the uh, the unknown uh, Sam Tuavati. So t- for context, I think this was covered in one of the main, main uh, 
news posts, whether it was Daily Telegraph or one of the subsidiaries, subsidiaries, sister or brother uh, institutions, Korea Mail, etc., and they do a little blurb on each player that makes the team, you know, as a kind of like futures prospects thing. And the, the writing for Big Sam Tuovati, who, bear in mind, has been part of a, a team that was really successful last year and also made the finals this year and was a big part of both those teams. You know, a relatively unknown player that emerged in this carnival was like the headline for him. And I was like, excuse me? <laughs> you know, the guy that won, what was it, player's player in Best and Ferris? What's the 60s? Yeah, yeah. So he, for the for the Parramatta Reels, uh, SG Ball, uh, sorry, Harold Matthews team, uh, Sam won the uh, uh, players' player and best and fairest. So there were five awards given out. I mean, te- uh, technically, players' player means that maybe you know seventeen to twenty-four other blokes knew about him. So I suppose that's yeah. you know kind of unknown. Yeah. So he would have been featuring on the tip sheet of every opponent for the last two years. Yeah. In, in the uh, junior reps competition, any any uh, player agent that looks after young players coming through would know the name Sam Tuavati, and uh, all the all the certainly all the uh, as I said all the opposition coaches because they would have featured on on tip sheets. It's uh, and I'm sure the uh, people in the New South Wales Rugby League knew about him, but um, yeah, so it was it was humorous to read that he was a relatively unknown um, player that had emerged at the at the carnival. So yeah, Sam, Sam maybe, a big of, maybe that's been missed. Maybe the the author had had got his mail from selectors saying that maybe he wasn't, before the carnival, he wasn't on the radar for selection. Yeah, and which again, again is surprising given that he's been a very quality contributor for the Eels for two years in the mat. So someone's gotten bad mail somewhere along the pipeline. But uh, I was just going to say, uh, when we attended the uh, end-of-season awards gala for the junior reps, I walked in behind Big Sam Torvati, and the, the big is uh, there in emphasis. He's a real solid unit. And on the other hand, um, Sam's been super consistent for two years. Uh, Blaze was outstanding in 2021, probably a bit quiet by the standards he set last year for the Harold Matthews campaign this year. So it was good to see him bounce back strongly because by all accounts, he had a really, really strong schoolboys carnival. Yeah, and for anyone that wants to... Um, check out a photo of Sam. We got a photo of Sam there in uh, our post that we put up on the awards night. So you can go back in and and have a look at the uh, post of the uh, on the on the Parramatta Eels twenty twenty two Junior Representatives Awards Night, and uh, we've got the full list of awards winners from the Eels um, during the twenty twenty two season. And as I said, it's good to see those uh, players like Sam. And also, Blaze get uh, further representative recognition with Australian schoolboys. It's um, yeah, it's quite an honour for them to get. It doesn't mean when players don't win Australian schoolboys selection, it doesn't mean that they don't have a an NRL career. There's there's plenty of players that never reach those heights that are that have a, a long and successful NRL career. But it's a nice stepping stone for the players that have a, have achieved it. Yeah, and I think it's one of those things where you look at those, uh, I feel like there's a conversion rate thing where you look at the origin teams in 19s or whatever the equivalent age group is because that bracket has changed across the last 10 years. But Australian schoolboys and, and origin junior reps tend to be a pretty good indicator. It's not a, and it's not a guarantee, but it used to be it tends to be a pretty good indicator for a player that's going on to forge something of an NRL career. So 
definitely two players to bookmark there down the road. Um, and and Blaze is really interesting because he plays as a running 5'8", but he's got the toughness to play a couple other positions too. So uh, going to be cool to see how those guys handle the SG ball in 2023. And that brings an end to, I think, I, I think it brings an end to all the Parramatta news unless something's broken while we've been recording. And I'm just having a quick gander and I can't see anything. So knowing our luck, there'll be something once we finish the stop button. Okay, start the presses. And I almost spoke it into existence, didn't I, 60s? We finish recording, an hour later, you hear me the call, have you seen the media? No. Oh, you better have a look. Isaiah Papali, <laughs> getting cold feet about going to the West Tigers. There you go. There's a breaking story. There's something to talk about for the Born Gold. Um, yeah, something, something. That it is more than something to talk about. This is going to be water core talk every day until something is resolved one way or the other because this is a huge story, huge. So the the lead on the article is via the Daily Telegraph, I believe. Uh, yep, David Riccio out at the Daily Telegraph and it's uh, the Twitter um, tweezer, Twitter, Twitter tweezer, Twitter twee, teaser, jeez. Uh, West Tigers recruit wants out a multi-million dollar deal with the link to the article and then the lead off there is West Tigers star recruit Isaiah Papali'i is having cold feet about joining the club next season in the wake of the Michael Maguire axing. So obviously the uh, uh, deal he signed was uh, three years, about $1.9 million they're quoting from last November. Uh, but he's having cold feet and um, having thoughts about trying to remain at Parramatta with the Eels. It says he was close to Michael Maguire given his status as the New Zealand test coach. And since he's been uh, moved on, He's not really happy about the uncertainty at the club. And this is something we've been speaking about in a broader scope outside of I-60s is how can you recruit and how can you convince your existing recruits when you haven't got stability at the top? You don't know what the actual direction of the club is. You know, we talked about the Tim, or we're going to talk about the Tim Sheen's appointment potentially as a head coach. But then again, that that is literally a stopgap solution. It doesn't point anywhere for a club. Where, like, what's your trajectory? What's your plan? Yeah, is, isn't it interesting that uh, we didn't think we'd be talking about this uh, Isaiah Papali'i contract scenario in this particular podcast. Uh, we were talking about the West Tigers situation with their coach, and here we are just an hour or so later, and we're all of a sudden we're, we're talking about one of their star recruits for next year, an Eels player in Isaiah Papali'i, looking to get out of his contract. And it's not its not hard to see why. We, we were talking about, as you said, we were talking about getting recruits and, and or, or even having the situation where uh, the likes of Ice and um, uh, Api Corusau having second, potentially having second thoughts about the deal. You, you can't have a situation where players, I mean, it does happen, but when you... When these players are signing a deal and they've got a particular coach that they are signing to play under and then the whole place starts to fall apart and you get the club uh, backflipping on things that they say about the coach, saying they're going to back the coach, then next thing the, the co- they're announcing that the coach is moving on without the coach even being told at that point in time. Um, it's... Yeah, it, it's it's crazy the the scenario that's there at the West Tigers. You would think that these players would have been thinking for some time about what they 
what their future has in store if they continue to go to the club. It's uh, Although the news is getting out now, you'd have to think that that's probably been spoken about for some time now. Yeah, this, so, I mean, a couple of weeks ago, he had the article coming out with like the you know, very fairly uh, common platitudes about how he was excited to join a club that was, you know, rebuilding and, and being part of that. But this doesn't just happen. You know, this, this is something that you have to think has been percolating and brewing for a long time. And, and as the Tigers have just lurched from issue to issue, from sacking coaches to more recently the Brooks and Dwahi drama, you know, it just mounts up as a player, especially one of Ice who is entering the prime of his career. And he's got the opportunity to, you know, play some really, really good football. And uh, I mean, obviously, he's very close with uh, very close with the the boys at the Eels. Uh, yeah, that, that's got to really, as a player, rub you the wrong way. Yeah, it's. I, I guess it's one of those situations where you've got one club that. I mean, maybe it's a it's a the David Riccio who's who's reporting this has also said that the Eels have the cap space to be able to keep Isaiah Papali'i. So maybe it's just been a case of uh, Parramatta now being in a situation where they their salary cap looks a bit clearer I, to them. I, what, what has changed since the Isaiah Papali'i negotiations, as far as I know, is obviously we, we've got a sort of a developing situation on ourselves with Nathan Brown, but... I believe it's been it was quietly spoken about, but the NRL I think rubber stamped a cap increase for the coming uh, next two seasons. Uh, yes, al- alongside a few other things that have happened in terms of housekeeping for the Eels and who they didn't keep and who they have kept and how you can work all that stuff out. So the, the, there is at least the structural beginnings of the space we have there or we need there for ice. Um, so yeah, and the other thing the article touted was a potential for a player swap. I don't know what that would encompass. Um, every time I hear pie swap, it almost never works out. And if it does, it's someone not important going. I, I say that like I don't mean that negatively, but in the context of the club that is getting the or getting or keeping the premier player, they don't actually lose out when the pie swap happens. Yeah, I, look, I think that's probably a bit of speculation on behalf of the journalist. There, I think what you would imagine that probably the next step that they get to is that the. Uh, player manager, Ice's player manager, uh, approaches the West Tigers and says, look, uh, we really, uh, you know, my client isn't keen on coming here now. We need to discuss uh, the avenues at which he can be released from his contract. You don't want a player here that doesn't want to be here. And, and that's that, that is what I was going to say is in the modern era 60s, how many times have we seen and this isn't just involving Parramatta, but just in general, once a player's like, issues or gripes get to the media stage about joining a club where they feel that what they signed for wasn't what they were told or something, you know, they got in cold feet or whatever, how many times have they actually gone through the honour of the contract? I'm sure there might have been a couple of cases, but it feels like, or even just sort of Reese Walsh, right? The the moment players start rum, like you know ruminating and, and stirring and agitating, the club's just like, okay, this isn't going to work. Um, let's just back out of it. Yeah, so whether it gets to the stage where the Eels and the West Tigers have to talk a way of working this out that he he, uh, is able to get out of the contract and remains at the Eels or or whether this is just something that his his player agent looks after without involving uh, the Eels 
except except for obviously the fact that he'd he'd have to have a new contract with the Eels ready and in place, and and know that he has that ready and in place. You'd have to you'd sort of assume that maybe there's there's something that's been worked out. I I don't know. I mean, I'm only I'm only speculating from from this perspective. But the bottom line is. It's it's fantastic news because uh, ice has proven this year that last year's surge in form compared to uh, what we knew of ice from uh, the uh, New Zealand Warriors was was not a one off uh, phenomena that he's he's continued that that form into uh, 2022 and uh, being a young player that he is. And now making the New Zealand Test team, it's obvious that he's going to be a player that we'd be exceptionally keen to keep. He's it seems like he's keen to remain at the Eels, and uh, yeah, let's hope it can be worked out. I mean, and you cannot stress how important this would be for the Parramatta Eels. Uh, you know, we talked about how big it was re-signing Ryan Madison equally. So if you can get Zai Papali'i back for twenty twenty three and beyond, suddenly your Ford pack goes from being good and very good to once again being great. And you know, yeah. it, it gives you the luxury then of guys like Elsgham and Kai Rodwell internally. And there's a few more, obviously, too, that we've spoken about in terms of young guys. We just most recently saw Tony Mattielli, Peter Tateo in the Jersey flag as well. But then the guys you're bringing in, your Jerome uh, uh, Omasias and uh, from Penrith, I, I keep having a... Jermaine Hopgood. Jermaine Hopgood. It gives you the luxury of, of not forcing them into... Uh, minutes that they might not be able to cope with in terms of NRL, like, you know, talking about 60 to 80 minute stints. Instead, you can put them on the bench and let them, you know, develop uh, to the, the best possible manner. So this is, yeah, very, very significant development for the Parramatta Eels. And well, just to, just to put this into perspective, uh, should ice remain that apart from Reed Marnie, our starting pack would mm. remain the same. Yeah, very, very big. That is, I mean, we're talking massive news for for the Eels. In you, you you're looking at uh, very close to the literally the starting thirteen would uh, for next year would only be missing Reed Marnie. Yes. That's that is the case, in, in isn't which it? case we're, you've we're got Josh Hodgson about... coming in, who you know for for all the, all the concerns about his health. You'd have to think that if he can stay healthy, the the sort of floor that he would raise as a baseline for the team would be very good. Oh, it's. I mean, that we can't we can't understate how big this news would become from a a, a retention perspective. Because, yeah, as I said, it it then becomes the Reed Marnie being the only player in the starting 13 that wouldn't be there next year. And yeah, and obviously so, we do ourselves some right in here, Corey, but you have him on the bench in your strongest 17, and then in which case you'd be looking at those guys that we mentioned before internally and externally to not necessarily one-to-one replace Murata, but across the course of that, you know, three or four-man rotation there, uh, share the load. So very... Yeah, well, I, I'm looking at it as... Um, uh, Ryan Madison being the uh, the the lock in the in a starting thirteen at the moment, mm-hmm. so uh, you'd you'd have uh, Reg, you'd have um, Junior, you'd have Lane, you'd have Ice, Maddo, 
and then your best <laughs> there's, there's, there's your, there's your pack. on the bench. Yeah, so once again, we, we've been saying a bit, but you got to wait, wait and see how this tracks and, and see how this unfolds. But like we just mentioned, 60s, how many times in recent years has a player let their concerns be voiced at that sort of level and then followed for an honour the contract? So the Eels obviously will be very keen to keep him. You can, without even having an official statement with the club, you just know that. Obviously, Ice is beloved uh, both by fans and the, the players and coaches all alike. He has been tremendous for us. And certainly where I think some of our other uh, departing players have had some fluctuations with their form this year, and we've certainly mentioned on the podcast, I think the only bad game Ice had, funnily enough, was against the Tigers on Easter Monday. Outside of that, he has been sensational. So he, he certainly didn't let that cloud his field uh, field of vision when it came to the, the game, regardless of whether he was going or not. So, yeah, that's really good signs there, and it'd be even better if we can keep him. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. So, yeah, huge news. And, um, uh, <laughs> and, and again, I'm starting to speculate. I'm going to speculate here, mate. Maybe I'll make a suggestion that we continue to record our news episode a little bit earlier and we wait and we wait because that it seems like the the news items just this seem to break just the the big news items always break after we we just hit that stop button on the recording and i go through to post and start editing every time Seriously, yeah. it, it's been a it's happened far more often than it has in the last I want to say month or two. So uh, obviously the there's, there's some sort of algorithm right there <laughs> at play. Oh goodness! But yes, the, at least this is some big, big time positive news, and it's going to be something I say we're going to be talking about in a few podcasts in a row because as this you know every sort of crumb that you get from this story is going to be significant, and you're going to want to talk about it and dissect it and break it down. But right now, it's good for the Parramatta Eels. Absolutely. Please stand by for further details. We return you now to your regularly scheduled program. Uh, but it feels like it's becoming more and more frequent, but we're going to take a quick trip to Tiger Town because they they remain one of the, for all the wrong reasons, most fascinating franchises in the NRL 60s. They just, I don't, I don't know how to describe it. It is, I suppose, for from our perspective, it must be what it was like for the rest of the NRL looking at us from like 2013 through to 2016 with all the all the stuff that was happening there. And now it's our chance to have a peek into a club doing the same thing from the outside looking in. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's, um, there's a, there is a sense of, uh, I don't know if you'd call it deja vu, but, um, we, we know what they're going through. And we also know that looking at the actions that they're taking, there's probably still looks like there's a lot more pain ahead for them. Yeah, and so I suppose the headline thing here this week is that Chamis, Michael Chamis, who's one of the premier reporters in the NRL, broke last night on Twitter that Tim Sheens, after spending weeks and months categorically denying any interest in the role, wanting to stay on as that uh, a general manager or, or sort of coaching a, a, a sort of a advisory role, has now told the club or indicated club that he is ready to take on the head coaching gig at West Tigers. So, you know, just uh, sack the guy that you were trying to help uh, install an interim coach that hasn't done too well and then say, yeah, okay, I'm ready to coach now. And obviously Tim Sheens has a long and storied history of the Tigers, that 2005 title being very pivotal for the franchise. But uh, once again, you talk about bad bad processes for New South Wales. They reaped a good result 
by way of having all that talent available at the rep level, but I just can't see this ending well for West Tigers. No, no. It's you, – you almost wonder um, at what point they are going to emerge out of this because, yeah, it, it, it feels so stopgap at the moment. And then you think to yourself, what – I know that they've, they've secured uh, the, the likes of ICE and uh, Appy Corusau for next year. And I, I have to wonder whether those two players are thinking them as, to themselves, what are we doing? Because I can't see them attracting too many others the way that it's going. Um, yeah, and, and now with um, uh, Luke Brooks, of, looks like he's heading out of the joint. Um, and some might argue that might assist their cause if they're, you know, feeling pretty cruel about assessing Luke Brooks. But, yeah, yeah, uh, tough times ahead, I think, for Tiger Town. Speaking of Luke Brooks, uh, reports today ahead of Team was Tuesday and the team sheet's becoming official at 4 o'clock that they're going to make a change to their playmaking group. But it's probably not the one you're expecting, 60s. I know that there was that leak report ahead of the representative bye week that Brooks was going to be dropped. Uh, but the change to the spine comes of Adam Dwahi moving into number six. And it's not uh, it's not Jack sorry, it's not Luke Brooks that makes way. Jackson Hastings moves to lock forward in the uh, the what's this week this week's sort of weekly leak for the Tigers. So Brooks seven, Hastings thirteen, Dwahi six. So they're definitely shuffling some deck chairs in the Titanic there. I suppose the other uh, pertinent piece of West Tigers and Parramatta news is there was a little blurb amidst all of this that the Tigers are considering signing Nathan Brown potentially for next year. So that's uh, something to watch out for, given that Brownie's only forced his way back into the team by way of the representative selection from uh, Junior and then obviously the injury to Ryan Madison. But he hasn't been terrible by any means since he's come back. And uh, I'd if- be stunned. I would be personally. I'd be stunned if, under the current circumstances, Nathan Brown left Parramatta to go to West Tigers. But that, and now, that's, that's the important thing. It takes two to tango, right? And and we've, we've spoken about this when you were qualifying the entire framing of like why Brown, uh, I, the contract situation playing out for Brownie, he'd want to go to a good team, right? Yes. Yeah, and I mean, obviously, at the end of the day, money does speak to some extent. If he's going to get a great offer from the West Tigers, maybe that changes the equation a, a bit. But, you know, Brownie's a competitor and he wants to play for a team competing. I doubt that Nathan Brown would be placed at a struggling team with no certainty around the coaching future at the club of of what their direction is anyway. And with uh, if he if he had a competing offer, even if it was less than the offer from the Tigers, um, I would suggest that if it was if it was somewhere within the ballpark that he would take less to go to a stronger club than he than he would take to to get to the go to the West Tigers it would have to be a contract amount that was that blew other other offers out of the water for him to even consider it so um yeah and ahead of our team sheet for the Parramatta Eels only real things for us to monitor inclusion of Ryan Madison potentially as he looks to recover from that rib injury and the other thing that we haven't really got any control over, 
but it's how Junior Barlow pulls up from Origin free, given that it is uh, that under forty eight hour sort of window to turn around. I wouldn't be surprised if he either is on a minutes restriction or is just rested sixties. I would have to think that he would be rested. In all honesty, can you see him backing up two days after an Origin game? If it, if it was obviously in the context of seasons, it rarely is because it's still in the mid mid year window, but. If it was a must-win game for whatever reason, you you could see Junior pulling out the big, you know, back-to-back effort. But given that it's the Warriors, and you know, once again, we more, more than any other season, you know, you can't take these games for granted. But you'd like to think that the Eels could take care of business with Ryan Madison back, and you know, a couple of fired-up forwards in Maddo and Reg, given their you know uh, issues with the state of origin process. Uh, so hopefully, they can get business done without Junior. You would back probably the. Um, the forwards from last week just to try to build on last week's win with the inclusion, likely inclusion of Ryan Madison into the team. You'd like to think that he's, um, if he's been named for the last two weeks, that being named this week, t- he'd be closer to the mark. Maybe close to the mark, exactly. And with Madison hopefully returning, it means you can bring greater balance back to your bench one way or the other, whether it's Maddo playing that. Uh, not like the non-starter primary lock forward role, uh, or you can get Murata back to the bench and then start uh, someone like Makahesi Makatoa, who I, I know the it wasn't the most flattering start for the poor man. He did get clobbered high off the first tackle of the game, which we didn't talk about. That should have been a Simbin 60s. That's been a Simbin like all year, uh, direct shoulder contact to the head. Not only did they miss it, we had the challenge for it, and the guy wasn't Simbin as a result. Uh, Mate, don't start me. Don't, I, I've, I've tried to ever since Saturday night. And there'd be so much that I could go on about. I, I've I've tried to concentrate as much as I can on the football itself, but man, you'd like to open up those wounds that the match oh. officials create for me. Why are you doing it to me, mate? Yeah, Why are you doing it to I, me? I, I always pick up my scab sixty, so there you go. That's a, obviously a, a podcasting <laughs> issue as much as there's a IRL issue. But yeah, I I, I would like to see. Uh, with Madison back, hopefully we can get Murata back to the bench. I know that Madison's been named to start across the last couple of weeks. I'm okay for that. Um, I know he's been so good as that non like the non-starting primary lock forward. But yeah, one way or the other, we just need one of those two boys on the bench, and just to bring a bit of uh, balance and uh, injection of uh, raw intent, I suppose, in that regard. But yeah, we're taking on the New Zealand Warriors on Friday. We'll be back to do the preview podcast for that particular game later this week, ahead of that live uh, post-game show at Jack's Bar and Grill as well, 60s. But in the meantime, we hope you checked out our sit-down with Bill Richards, former Parramatta Eel, and one of the uh, driving forces behind the Blue and Gold Alliance. They're doing some fantastic work for the club, for the old boys, and eventually the old girls. So, yeah, hope you enjoyed that. And uh, I know for me in 60s, it was a very, very enjoyable sit-down. Well, mate, the the things that we found out... um for example, the very first Parramatta team to win a competition. We found out about the New South Wales Rugby League coaching school that existed back in the mid-60s for a brief period of time that was so ahead of its time. It was phenomenal. I'm stunned that these sorts of things aren't more well-known. So our thanks to Bill for letting us know that and, and Bill's own story about uh, being making his first grade debut and, and and not too long afterwards being called up for national service in Vietnam, going being sent to Vietnam. I mean, what a, you know, the era back then of, of what could happen for, for young people. It was just a reminder that 
your, your plans that you might have back then could have been changed so abruptly Entire just out of your control. Times. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, but as you said, great things that the Blue and Gold Alliance are doing. And, and it's just, it was just one of the more fascinating chats that we've had with a, uh, a, a, with a Parramatta Reels identity. Mm hmm. Yeah, so definitely check that one out if you haven't. 60s has put up a fantastic Parramatta stories on the entire premise, and obviously the podcast dropped following that. Uh, but as always, thanks for stopping by and giving us a listen. Uh, it's always a blast having a chat about Rugby League and the Parramatta Reels. And it was good to have Spiro back on board after a week off 60s. But as always, we'll catch you guys in the next episode. Go you Eels.